You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. And um, thank you for uh, giving us your righteousness through Christ. Thank you for giving us Christ himself. And pray that this class, Lord, that it would, um, that your word would be proclaimed, that your truth would be seen, that Christ would be seen and heard, and um, that we would all uh, gain uh, the freedom, freedom that comes with knowing you. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, this is class number three of this series uh, called Gospel Identity versus Performance-Based Identity, and um, this is kind of this is our theme for the year in the in the youth group, but this applies to everyone. Sorry, kind of your way, um, but anyhow, uh, we have we we're kind of this is all, we're with kids aged you know seventh grade through twelfth grade. We're just all up in their grill <laughs> with this uh, with this catechism with the gospel-based identity. Uh, and so the gospel that we kind of made this catechism, which is a way to go back and forth with you know questions and answers um, about who you are. And so the gospel-based identity, the questions we say are: Who does the Spirit say you are? Washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? Righteous and forgiven. Who does the Father say you are? An adopted child of God. Who are you? A sinner saved by grace. And so we're trying to impress upon the kids that um, we don't really care about who the world says you are. We don't care what your grades say about who you are. We don't care about what um, your social media likes say about who you are. What we care about first and foremost is who um, who God says that you are. And this is who God says you are. This is the ultimate truth about who you are, and then your whole life flows out of that. Um, you can pursue good grades and, um, and all kinds of things like that with freedom, knowing that your identity is secure uh, in Christ. And so... So anyhow, if you uh, we're encouraging parents, uh, we have all of these. All of these are broken down into the individual ones. There are five of these images. They're on our website. So if you want to download these onto your phone and text them to your child before a soccer game or before cheer tryouts or before they have a test, just to remind them of who they are, um, we we are hopeful that this will be a tool for parents to continue to encourage their kids and the freedom freedom of the gospel. So. Um, this is the major theme for us. The reason for that is we just see an unbelievable amount of anxiety uh, in our teenagers. Uh, there is just so, so much uh, stress, so much fear, uh, so much pressure to perform. Um, there, you know, you've probably heard me say this statistic a hundred times, but uh, the average, uh, average American teenager lives with a commensurate level of anxiety as the average institutionalized patient of the 1950s. That's from a 2011 Psychology Today study. So, you know, kids are just the norm is they're anxious enough that in the 1950s they would have basically been qualified to come under psychiatric care. And, uh, you know, we are, um, it's, here's another thing that's interesting and kind of alarming is that kids who live in suburban areas, which uh, most of the kids in our congregation live in suburban areas, uh, they live with far greater anxiety than kids who live in crime-ridden areas that have very high homicide rates. So kids who, you know, the, the people are getting shot, they hear gunshots, you know, in their in their neighborhoods, and they, you know, there are murders going on in their streets. They have they live with less fear and anxiety than the average kid in Homewood, Hoover, Vestavia, Mountain Brook, the kid who lives in Forest Park, Highland Park, whatever it may be. So that's a that, that's a that's freaking crazy. 
Like that's, that's absolutely insane that that's the case, okay? And so with that being said, and I'll, I ask kids this all the time. Um, I ask kids this all the time. Is it, you know, is it, do you feel this from your parents? Do you feel this from your teachers? And they say, no, it's really just the culture. Like, it's just the waters that we swim in. And so that being said, like, really the only thing, the only thing that has the power to give a kid freedom and peace and rest is the gospel. Uh, and knowing the truth. And knowing the truth that who you are is, is identified based on Jesus' performance not based on your own performance. And so today, uh, the one I'm going to focus on is um, who does Jesus say you are? This is kind of the second question. Who does Jesus say you are? He says you are one who is made righteous and forgiven. Uh, and what does that mean? That means that you're enough. So that's the that's kind of the phrase. I, I think I, if you're going to walk out of here with, with one phrase, one thing you can say to your child, it's that you're enough. And we'll explain uh, explain how it is that you're enough um, through um, how it is that you're enough through Christ and through the gospel. There are not Bibles in here, are there? Rats. Sorry, that was on my list of commands. Did not get done. Here, I'm just going to pull it up online. We're going to be working from Luke uh, chapter 18. And I'm just going to put it up on the screen. This is going to be, the, we're going to look at the story of the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee. Here we are. Mm. That's pretty close. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, this is the text we're going to work from. Um, and so uh, what I want you to see here is you have the story that Jesus is telling. I want you to look at who the audience is. It says that this is a parable he told to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Um, and... Uh, and so you're going to see this juxtaposition of two people. You've got the Pharisee on one hand who lives with a performance-based identity. And then you have the tax collector who lives with a gospel-based identity. And, um, and so, so here, I'll just I'll read it. It says, um, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he's telling this to people with performance-based identities. And treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortionists, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so um, so with that being said, um, we are going to look at how, look at this juxtaposition of performance-based identity versus gospel-based identity. Uh, and we're going to, I mean, like I said, we're going to look at how, um, you know, Christ makes us enough through the gospel, through faith in Christ. All right, so the first thing, the problem. Uh, the problem is that uh, we're not enough. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the beginning of the problem. Uh, we, we all have this sense uh, that we just need to be a little bit more, that we're not quite what we're meant to be. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was thinking about uh, how many times have I already had that concern this morning? Um, you know, okay, so I was thinking, all right, I got this shirt out and there was a stain and I had to just, you know, I'm running out the door with two children trying to get here. So I had to like scrub that off, you know, 
And I'm like, huh, I wonder if people are going to notice that. And then this shirt, I didn't really do a great job with the ironing. And so my undershirt is kind of coming up. I'm like, geez, are people going to see my undershirt like coming up out of here? So then I went and I bought a tab because I uh, have a four-week-old baby and also had a retreat this weekend. And I'm like, so how many men are going to think that uh, there's something wrong with Cameron? Because I really genuinely love tab. I do. I like tab. I'm comfortable. I guess, no, I guess I'm not comfortable enough in my masculinity. But here I'm owning it right in front of you. And then, you know, that's just that's just like kind of the little day-to-day. Then there are the big things of like, uh, you know, gosh, for, for, for people like, oh, my profession's not enough, or I don't make enough, or I don't um, live on the right street, or I don't drive the right car, or da 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 or this outfit isn't cute enough, or oh, my hair, blah, 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 okay? And so we all have, we all have this sense that we're not enough. Uh, and kids majorly have that sense, you know. They, I mean, in terms of their, their grades, in terms of, you know, how they're doing in sports, what their position is, whether they're starting, whether they're the star, um, whether they're going to make the cheerleading tryout. I mean, I think... This is, I think, from, and I'm not going to put uh, my former high school student on the spot who's sitting on the front row, but from what I understand, it's a pretty normal thing for girls in the morning to, like, when they're trying on their car, their clothes, to, like, take pictures of their outfits, send it to their friends. They'll have, like, a group text where they're comparing outfits so that they're making sure that they're not wearing the same outfit as somebody else or does this look cute, does this look good with this. So there's all this analysis about what they're going to wear. And uh, from what I understand... Margaret, you know, Margaret Ann, she's, you know, she's so mature that there's nothing, nothing she would ever think about doing. No, just kidding. No. Um, but, but anyhow, from what I understand, like getting ready in the morning is a pretty intense, long process, like hour process to get out the door. And so, you know, that's, that's a statement of the sense of like, I'm not enough and I have to measure up. Okay. Um, so with that being said, the, the reason we live with this sense of I'm not enough um, is, is it's because of uh, the natural discrepancy between God's holiness and, our, and us as sinners. Like, in reality, we, we don't measure up. Like, we're, we're sinners. It says in, uh, in, in, it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God. So the glory of God is perfection. And so it says everyone, everyone has sinned. And, and by the way, in terms of, if you get into the grammar of the Greek in this, um, have sinned is an imperfect past tense verbs. So that means in the past, you are continually falling short. And then, you know, um, are falling short, that's actually a, a present continuous verb. So, and in the present, you are falling short. So that means you, it's not like there was a time when you were falling short and now there's, you know, there was a moment when you were falling short in the present. It's like we are continuously falling short of the glory of God. God is perfect. He is completely perfect. And like as sinners, like we, are, we, don't, we don't even come within a million miles, a trillion miles of measuring up to who God is. So you see you know, in these stories in the Bible, like Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees God and his holiness. You know, Isaiah is probably a pretty, pretty A-plus religious person. He was a prophet of Israel. And yet, when he sees God, sees God in all his glory and all his perfection, he says, woe unto me. Like, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. So he is, you know, woe, I am completely doomed. And then you have Ezekiel, same thing, Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, chapter 2. Ezekiel sees the glory of God. Ezekiel also probably an, a, a religious rock star. Uh, and Ezekiel, you know, same thing, hits the deck, hits the ground. And so this uh, sense that we're not enough, um, it's grounded in reality. It's grounded in a reality that we in our heart kind of know that God is holy and we are, we are not holy. And therefore, like, apart from the grace of God, there is this sense of, 
we're not enough. And so, um, and so that's that's the problem. And and so, first thing I would say is, you know, obviously this is a something going on at the subrational level, at the heart level that we're not consciously aware. Like no one is sitting here thinking every day like. Oh, I woke up this morning and God is holy and I'm a sinner and okay, so I better wear a really nice outfit um, or I better study really hard for my ACT this weekend. Yeah, that's not what's going on at the conscious rational level. This is something going on at the heart level, the subconscious level. And so I think one thing that is helpful um, for ourselves, but also for our kids is to maybe, and, and by the way, I mean, if your child is like, you know, a small child, like my kids are, and my, my, I have an almost five, almost three-year-old, I'm not going to be saying to Hutch, you know, like, Listen, Hutch. Now, what's really going on here with your frustration with the Legos is you fall short of what we got. But you know, that's, that's, I don't think that's, I don't think that plane is going to land with Hutch Cole. Um, but uh, but with that being said, like as your kids get older, you know, you can kind of help them understand that like there is a spiritual dimension to their fears. There's a spiritual dimension um, to their anxieties and how they're feeling life. So you can help them understand that what's going on at the heart level. Because honestly, unless someone kind of brings us out of that, we'll never really know. You know, we're, it's just so like. It's just so the DNA and the natural rhythm of how we live. We need someone to help us understand uh, what's going on at the spiritual level. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, so now, with that problem, with that problem of, of how we fall short of the glory of God, uh, there, there, there are two responses. Um, two responses. Uh, and the first is a performance-oriented response. A performance-oriented response. And that's, uh, that's what uh, you see with the Pharisee. Uh, and so we'll look at him first and look at him as the model of, of the performance-oriented response. And so here's the thing. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what age of history you live in, you just inherently live with the sense that you're not enough. You inherently live with the sense that you're not enough. And so basically all religion is kind of, uh, all religion, all philosophy, all kind of behavior uh, at the spiritual level is really driven out of this problem of falling short. How, how do we... How do we um, reconnect with God? How do we come into communion with God? Because we have this sense that something is off. That's a, the common thing throughout world religions. There's a, there's a sense that there is a break between man and God. Uh, and, but most, and, and there's, there's also a, a common belief that it's, a, it's based on something moral, some kind of moral shortcoming. And, and, the, and all, world, all the world religions besides Christianity have a performance-based response of like, okay, you need to do these religious practices or you need to, to live in this certain way and that, that will fix the problem. Um, but, but it just doesn't fix the problem because um, we, can't, we can't be perfect on our own. But anyhow, so, so looking at the Pharisee, uh, you know, when the Pharisee uh, goes before God, um, he, um, look at what he says. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself, he prayed in this way, he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, so he goes before God, and what does he say to God? God, this is what I do. You know, this is what I do. So he is relating to God based on his own performance. Um, and, and you can see that he even kind of has made up his own rules. Like Jews were only called uh, to to fast once a year, and he says I fast twice per week, and he even kind of you know with his his tithing, his tithing is not even it's, it's, it's kind of not even in line with what the Jewish law calls him to. So he's kind of making up his own rule. Excuse me, making up his own rules, and then on top of that too, you can see that he's totally deluded. He's completely deluded because he's actually sinning in his prayer. He is saying like I'm not like those people. 
I am better than them. He is judging them. So he is so out of touch with his own sin that um, that he is actually sinning in his prayer to the Lord and he's aware, unaware of it. He's thinking that he's righteous before God. And so, you know, notice again at the beginning, uh, you know, it said that this is written to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay. And so, um, so with that being said, uh, you know, the, the fruit of, of living like this is first off, you live a life of comparison. Um, he is comparing himself to other people. So you're always worried about what other people are doing and their accomplishments or so on and so forth. So that's a problem. A second problem is it's very, very stressful. Uh, performance worry in life is very stressful because it's just it's never enough. Because to be righteous is to be perfect. You have to be perfect to, to, in order to, to be enough. And like, you're not, none of us ever be perfect. We're never enough um, out of our own performance. And so, so there's this instability of, you know, uh, I was talking to a parent today. He was talking about um, competitive volleyball and competitive dance, and he said um, all all roads lead to the Orange County Convention Center. Apparently, has anyone ever heard of that before or know what I'm talking about? Apparently, all like nationals for every sport ends at, in Orlando uh, at the Orange County Convention Complex, and then there's a Disney World thing afterwards. And yeah, and so you finish in like, all right, you finish the year, but then there's like national, there's like internationals or there's worlds, or now you make it up to the next level, and it's just kind of this never-ending, um, this you know, never-ending uh, chasing of the wind. Um, so, so anyhow, it's just very, very stressful because it's a performance treadmill, and you're only as good as your next game, uh, you're only as good as your last test score, you're only as good as your last class ranking, and so, uh, so it's constantly. You know, it's exhausting. And I, I, I think this is at the heart of why kids are so stressed out, is because of this pressure to measure up all the time and it never ends. It's all of this depression and all this, um, all these mental health issues that kids have, it's because of chronic stress, um, because they're always uh, living under these demands. Um, so anyhow, so that's the performance-based identity. So then you have the gospel-based identity, and you have the uh, tax collector. The tax collector... Um, you know, and tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were hated by the Jews. Um, they were generally, you know, unethical in their in their uh, in their vocation, and uh, they were just, you know, bad to the bone. The tax collector says he was standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." And Jesus says, "I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other." For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, the um, notice that Jesus says that. Um, well, first off, the first thing that the guy does is he goes before God. Says he's standing far off. This means that he has this sense of reverence for the Lord. Like, hey, I I know that I'm a sinner. He's owned that. You know, he's not pretending that he's not. Uh, he has this sense of contrition. And he, you know, he beats his breast, and he's, he's lamenting that he's a sinner. And so he really owns it. Like, he gets it. He gets, like, Lord, based on my life, I'm not enough. And so what does he do? He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so he is looking to the Lord for his sense that he is enough, for this sense that he's enough. And so... Um, and so it comes out of humility. It comes not out of his performance, but it comes out of confidence in the grace and the mercy of God. And so if we're looking at this, you know, if we're looking at this through a full gospel lens, I think one thing that uh, 
when talking about Jesus and, and, and the gospel that people uh, overlook is Jesus' life. Uh, we talk about the cross where Jesus pays for the sins of man. We talk about the resurrection, which is the validation that that, 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 that worked. But we don't talk about his perfect life. Because the thing is, is that Jesus had to live a perfect life on our behalf. He had to live the life that Adam and Eve failed to live. He had to live the life that we cannot live. And so, you know, that's why it's so critical that Jesus was God. Because only God could live a perfect life. But Jesus lives a perfect life for us. And on the cross, his perfect life is accounted to us. And so when Jesus says um, that he walked away justified... Justified in Greek is just the verbal form of righteous. It's like, so if righteous is diak, wait a minute, it's uh, uh, dikaios, dikaios. And then uh, to be justified is dikaio in this form. Uh, anyhow, so basically it's the process by which you become righteous. And like righteous is just a theological word for being enough. Uh, to be righteous means that you are perfectly acceptable to God. Like there's nothing about you that could make God reject you. There's nothing about you that could make God uh, condemn you. And so the thing is, is what we are all really kind of chasing day after day um, is to become righteous. That's what we want. Because righteous, we are, we really are. I know this sounds crazy, but we really are perfect in God's eyes. Because what the life that Jesus lived is now counted to us. And even though we sin and fall short, God regards us as righteous, as perfectly acceptable in every way. And that's how God can love us unconditionally. That's how God can love us in spite of our sin. He can love us on our worst day just as much as he loves us on our best day. It's because we're being regarded based on Jesus' performance, not our own. And so, um, and so with that being said, um, you know, when I say in this catechism that, you know, what does it mean? Who does Jesus say you are? He says that you're one who is, um, forgiven and righteous, what does that mean? That you're enough? Like enough is just kind of make it maybe a more down-to-earth way um, of, of, of internalizing what we've already been given with Christ. And I think this is, you know, one thing that, um, one thing is, is like, okay, yeah, I'm like teaching this class, right? I like know this. And I've taught this same message a bazillion times. And yet this morning, you know, I'm like really concerned about the stain on my shirt. You know, I, I, so with that being said, like we think a lot of times people think about the gospel as that's that's for non-Christians. Like that's so that they can go to heaven when they die and they can, you know, have comfort that they're accepted by God when they go before him. Well, the gospel is also for Christians. Like we need the gospel every day. Like your child needs the gospel every day. And um, and your child needs the real gospel. You know, I mean, I think you see here that this man come, walks away justified because he acknowledges that he's not enough in his performance. Yeah, so like with our kids, we can say like, well, yeah, of course, like, of course you're not perfect. Like, duh, if you were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have to die for you, right? Okay, and so we can own that. And, there, and there's, really, um, there's really a ton of freedom and liberation in just saying like, of course you're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. Like, let's just die to that now, you know? And, and remember that actually in God's eyes, you are perfect because you have inherited the righteousness of Jesus. And so when we, uh, when we as uh, if you're a Christian, when we kind of live into this reality that we've been made enough by the grace of God, we've been given the righteousness of, of Jesus, I mean, that's the, what's the fruit of that? Like, what are some words we think of that are the fruit of identifying yourself based on who God says you are, that God says you're righteous, that God says you're enough? 
and not identifying yourself based on your performance. Like, what are some words that you would say would be the result of living that in, in, a, in a, a gospel-based identity in this way? Relief. Relief. Yeah. Great. What's another word? Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Anybody else got one? Rest. Rest. Yeah. And I would say gratitude. You know, just a lot of gratitude. And so, you know, we, uh, in terms of, you know, us, um, what we kind of like teach to our to our kid, the to our, like our junior high and high school kids in the church, like, you know, we know that not every kid is not every kid is super anxious. And if for a lot of your problems, like, good gravy, could I just get my stinking kid to do his homework like one time? You know, like you're cracking the whip. And so, you know, I, I don't want to give you the impression that. Um, you know, we think that, you know, one size fits all in this. I know that every child is different. Um, but I, I think that, I think for some kids, this, this um, you know, trying in school or trying in sports or trying in whatever, this overwhelming sense that I have to be perfect is so great that they just retract. They just turn away from it. And so um, what we tell kids, you know, we, we had a retreat this weekend, and it was it was heavy, heavy on this. This is what it was all about. It was about this theme for the year. It was heavy on the freedom of the gospel, heavy on the rest of the gospel. And we say to them, like, hey, guys, this doesn't absolve you from your responsibilities. Like, you still need to do your homework. You know, you still you still need to, like, obey your parents and clean up your room. You still need to go to practice and that kind of stuff. It's a god or thing to do your best. But you can do those things with freedom. Like, you can do those things with rest. Like, for me, like, one of the real, like, shames of my adolescent life was... You know, like I really liked basketball. I loved to play basketball, and I was five feet tall in kindergarten. Um, so, with that being said, I dominated little kid basketball. I could, <laughs> I could grab the rim. I could grab the rim uh, on the eight and a half foot goal in the fourth grade. So, I like won the championship just about every year. But then this, this, you know, this wicked thing called puberty. Uh, happens and everybody caught up, right? And so I made the basketball team, but I went from being the star to just being a bench warmer. You know, I like never, I never got to play. And, uh, and I just like, I hated it. Like I hated basketball. I was miserable. I was, you know, mad every game. I was resentful and I ultimately quit, even though I just really liked playing basketball. You know, it's like such a shame that I couldn't have just been like, Hey, practice is really fun. You know, scrimmaging is really fun. Like going to the camps is fun. Like I like this. I like the guys on the team. I like my friends here. But instead, I, it was like, well, this is not impressive enough. You know, this is not making me enough. So I just quit. And, I, and that was kind of my pattern. Like, uh, you know, if I was involved in something, if I wasn't the best, I would just quit. And until I found the, you know, found the thing. And I just, I missed out on so many, like, things that I just really enjoyed um, because it was, you got to be perfect or nothing. And if I'd had that, I feel like, uh, you know, if I'd had this, uh, you know, this sense of freedom from a performance-based identity, there are so many things that I could have enjoyed. And, and, and my life would have been a lot less stressful. So um, finishing up here, got a little bit of time. Yep. Finishing up here, uh, you know, what, um, what, you know, what do we do with our kids? Um, I think I have three things. Uh, first thing I would say is help your child become spiritually self-aware. Uh, and, you, I, you know, you'd have to ask God for the wisdom on when that starts to make sense with your child, whether that's in the second grade or that's in sixth grade. I don't really know. But help your child understand this of like, hey, look, you know, you have the sense that you want to be perfect. That's just you're never going to be perfect, buddy. Like you're a sinner. That's just that's just all there is to it. And, and so bless them with that freedom. Just kind of, you know, take the air out of that balloon right away. 
and uh, and help them understand too that like who they are, um, uh, you know, that the, the, help them understand the spiritual dimension of what's going on. Um, and, and you know, and that's that's just one of those things where you're just gonna have to preach it and preach it and trust that the truth of the gospel inherently has power and it's gonna take root in their heart and it's gonna blossom one day, whenever that'll be. Um, second thing uh, I would say is um, I would I would just kind of constantly I would have language that you're constantly reminding them of. Like you're listen, you're enough. Like you're enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Like look, God has made you righteous. Whatever it is, but I would just have language you're saying over and over and over to a point where it really annoys your kid. If you're starting to annoy your kid that you're saying this enough, then you're starting to scratch the surface of saying it enough. Yeah, totally. They, I mean, that's just like, that's so teenagers. They like, they totally like, oh, I don't want to hear it, dad. I don't want to hear it, mom, blah, blah, blah. They really want to hear it. They do. So you just have to, uh, you have to totally ignore their nonverbal communication uh, and, uh, and just plow on. Um, and then uh, finally, I think it's good for them. I think it is a really uh, powerful thing for kids um, for us to share our stories of when we were in their season of life, when we were their age. And I, I, there's a there's a book that I really, really want to work on one day called The Gospel I Wish I Knew. And it would basically be like going through um, like a collection of people writing stories about, gosh, when I was in the seventh grade or when I was in, you know, when I was playing baseball or when I was in school or when I was on the dance team, whatever. Like, man, I really, I wish I'd known the freedom of the gospel. And, and, and because if I had, I, in the same way that I just told that story about me quitting basketball, um, I would have been able to enjoy it. So I think there's really a lot of power in you as a parent saying, you know, whatever it is they're going through, saying, gosh, you know, when I was around your age, I've, I like wanted, I, I felt this pressure to be perfect in this way. And, you know, what I really wish I had known is I wish I could have died to that and I wish I could have just received the grace of Christ. I wish I could have just realized that actually I, I am already enough apart from my performance. Who I am, who I am is who God says I am. Who I am is not who the world says I am. And so um, I think kind of going alongside them and telling them your own stories and how you wish you had known that as a child and how that would have freed you and how you want that for them, I think there's a ton of credibility and power in that. So I'm going to pray for us. And, uh, and if anyone has any questions, uh, you can ask them. It's clearly the, the school bell is ringing. Uh, I don't want anybody to be tardy to their next class. All right, God, uh, thank you so much, Jesus, that you've lived for us, that you've died for us, that you've risen for us, and that, um, that we're free. Our, our slate is clean. And, uh, Father, I pray that for each one of us, this is one thing for us to know this in our head. It's another thing for us to believe this in our heart. And, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that this would be more and more real to us, that the reality that you cherish us, that you delight over us, that you're pleased with us, you're not disappointed with us. Um, I pray, Lord, that that would just sink into our hearts and we'd all have the freedom, the peace, the joy, and the hope um, that comes as a product of, of really living into the gospel. So thank you, Lord. I ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.